Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Bud, we will be focusing our positional preview on the offensive lineman. So a uh, anticipated one, both by our listenership and uh, I can speak for for myself. Uh, this is something that certainly thought an awful lot about. Look forward to tonight's conversation. Uh, I think this will be a, a pretty interesting and honest look at what uh, the 2019 group might end up looking like. So we'll jump right into it and uh, have a have a pretty fun conversation about what this uh, unit may ultimately be made up of. Fun and the offensive line, Ingram. Are, are yeah. you sure you're feeling okay tonight? Well, I was, you know, maybe being maybe being uh, a little bit cheesy with my word choice there, but it'll be, it'll be a nice conversation. Last year was 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 not so fun. Um, we we had uh, famous hits such as three of the worst seven players <laughs> rated in the nation, and player scores a zero percent game grade over like thirty something snaps, which I've never seen before. Um, players don't know they're blocking assignments. Players aren't sure who to look at for the signals from the sideline, et cetera, et cetera. And far too often, players who are not FSU caliber or ACC caliber or Power 5 caliber or in some cases uh, due to the spots they were put in really even even D1 caliber playing and and uh, and not not playing well so uh, as with the format of the previews we will go first uh, to what Florida State lost uh, off last year's roster all right, so uh, we'll look at three graduations, a transfer, and then a little bit of a discussion about a uh, another possible slash probable departure. Uh, Alec Eberly is a graduation center, a guy that uh, I know was not necessarily a fan favorite, but uh, somebody that took a lot of snaps, got a lot of starts. His level of play varied, but... Uh, Somebody that most will be happy to turn the page on. Derek Kelly, uh, nice story. Kid that was kind of always plagued with with injury trouble and never able to really get uh, the most out of uh, what potential was there. Arthur Williams, uh, absolute mountain of a human being. Had some small, I want to stress, brief moments where where it looked like the light might turn on for him, uh, but it never really did. Either uh, Landon Dickerson, uh, what would have been uh, your best offensive lineman, a guy who uh, had injury troubles his own, has made his way to Tuscaloosa after a transfer, and then uh, you see his first Coleman. string now. By the way, yeah, yeah, he's first string, and uh, I enjoyed Saban's uh, conversation recently uh, at a press conference about him. But uh, we'll save that, save further discussion of that for a future null cast. And then uh, Cole Minshew, not, uh, we're not breaking news here. We're not uh, saying he's left the team or anything else, but uh, at this point with his injury history and some of uh, what currently exists there, I'm not sure that it would be wise to necessarily include him in the, uh, the pieces to work with part of the podcast. So we'll kind of pencil in, Minchu here as a uh, as as somebody that you may not see. Yeah. Um, so Willie Taggart was asked about Cole Minchu, and obviously he had neck surgery back uh, back in the early part of 2019, and the timetable uh, is indefinite. And uh, I believe he was asked again, and it is still uh, there, there's there's no timetable. So hasn't gone through practice. I don't. Uh, I, I I would be surprised if he factors in to the uh to the team this year 
This is a lot of losses, by the way, off off this unit. I won't tell you that all of them are big losses. Um, certainly, Dickerson is a huge loss. I mean, if you had Dickerson, he would be what probably your like third best, your best offensive lineman by a mile. But you're probably your your third best player on the offense behind Terry and Akers. I, I would have to think. Um, so that that's a a really big loss that he went had transferred to Alabama. Can't say I blame him. You know, if you can start for Alabama and, and the state that program's in, as opposed to the, the rebuilding job that Florida State is in right now, hard to really blame him. Wasn't recruited by this staff. Clearly, did not click with this staff. Uh, I, I think Derek Kelly is is a loss. Um, just from the standpoint of he was he played bad last year, but maybe not like worst in the nation bad and. He was playing out of position, too. He, he was really a guard, like you said, who had to play tackle. Arthur Williams, to me, not a loss because, let's face it, uh, this time last year, had he already switched over to offensive line? It, if so, it wasn't that much earlier than this last year. Um, and obviously, Minshew uh, would, would be really a no-doubt starter uh, if, if he was healthy. So they've lost some stuff there, to be sure. Alec Eberly lost to graduation we can rip on Everly a little bit. He was never a good player, but like again, he was kind of one of those dudes like Derek Kelly, where he was among the guys who were out there the most often. He was your he was your your best rated lineman, uh, and and Babyon Johnson was not able to beat him out last year at all. Yeah, kept kept winning the starters battle for his position. I mean that that in and of itself is is telling. Let me ask you this: If he's still here, do you think that that he's starting? Like let, mm. let's say he got he got a sixth year somehow. Yeah, I think he probably is. Yeah, I, I do too. Um, that's not to say that his replacement can't be better than him. I think the ceiling of the replacement is better, but I do not think the floor of the replacement uh, is is better at all. So with that, I mean, you're talking about the offensive line. We just went over all these departures. They lost a good bit, too, and they were terrible last year. So that may not be the worst thing in the world to lose a good bit. I I was sitting out there at the, uh, the Saturday Night Live event with, with some of the other media, and we were chatting about just how, how much improvement, if any, this offensive line is going to have. And there are some guys on the beat who cover this team who think this line is going to be worse. And I'm like, it kind of be hard to be that worse because they were already one of the worst in the entire nation last year, certainly the worst or rather one of the worst in the power five. But there are people who think that I am here to tell you, I'm, I'm optimistic about this group. I'm expecting real tangible improvement with this group. And uh, I guess we should dive into kind of what this group is. We should uh, just before we get too far into that real briefly, want to acknowledge uh, that, I don't know where we should put this individual, but want to acknowledge that Florida State signed Josh Ball and then had intentions of bringing him back uh, this year and was going to do that. They were and trying to keep it quiet. Trying to keep it quiet, and uh, that's that's three kids that you started that you signed who would have been starters this year that are not available either from injury, uh, inability to get back in school, um, albeit probably the right decision, but uh, still another starter on the offensive line and then one guy that transferred. So I uh, just want to work that in before we switch over to uh, to this year's batch of players. 
and we have a listener question about that later on in the show, but that, that, that's a really good point. Because if you had asked the staff, okay, who's going to be your starters come 2019, they would tell you at this time last year, they would have told you Ball, Menchu, Dickerson, and then they would have figured out two more. But they would have told you a lot of stuff last year that turned out to be um, not correct. Some of it their own fault, some of it clearly not their own fault. Uh, I, nobody expected the offensive line to be anywhere near this bad last year. A lot of it, honestly, was was due to injury. I know for a fact they did not look that bad in scrimmages, at least not the starters. The backups, the, the backups had some issues th- throughout the entire camp. Louisiana Hot Sauce Bud, four years of us being able to brag on a fantastic product, great partner for us, uh, something that I use damn near every day, if not multiple times a day. Just want to thank them. This is our fourth season of working with them, like I mentioned, fourth season of position previews and everything else that we do. Hats off to the people at New Iberia. Thank you again for the opportunity to be able to work with you. So, uh, center position. Who you got? All right, so Bavion Johnson, a, uh, <laughs> a, a recruiting victory that was celebrated and uh, hadn't been a whole lot since then, really. Johnson was the number one center in his class. Uh, Florida State beat Alabama and everybody else for a signature. And unfortunately, for whatever reason, uh, at least up to this point in time, there has not, never been much on the field to support the, uh, the stars associated with his name coming out of high school. Okay, so with many of these things, I'm kind of thinking of like path to blank, right? So for him, it, in my head, it's path to competency. What is Bavion Johnson's reasonable path to competency? Well, is he in shape? Yeah, he looks pretty good physically. Look, looks like he's recovered. You know, he had, he had a couple injuries uh, that, that I think hampered him going into the fall last year. Uh, new, new offensive line coach Randy Clements has done an excellent job working with him on snapping. This is something that, that, that the media can see immediately at practice because last year practice, the snapping was an absolute disaster. And Johnson has actually admitted as much recently that his snapping uh, was, was, was bad last year in part because he was hurt and because he was so focused on, on getting his steps and getting quickly into his block uh, that, that he wasn't able to, to correctly execute the snap. Well, clearly, if you're the center, the snap is a fairly important part of what you do. Uh, and this year, by all accounts, his snapping is much better. Johnson has the bulk to be able to hold up, I think. He was always a really good-looking center prospect in, in, in high school, man. He, like, I saw him personally block a number of the best defensive linemen um, at the opening, right, which is a, a, a setting that's not real easy for offensive linemen to handle, and he, and he did so, and he did so well. So I I am optimistic that, that Florida State can have center play this year that is as good as they got last year. Right. So while I agree with what you said, if Everly was still here, would he be starting? Probably. I, I don't I don't disagree with that. However, I do think that maybe on Johnson could be better or I don't want to say better. I think maybe on Johnson could be as good as what they got last year. And if that's the case, if you don't have a downgrade from the guy who last year was your most consistent player, then we're off to a pretty good start here. Right. I, I think that they've helped simplify some things for him up front and, and he's embraced that leadership role. I've got positive things I'm going to say here. Now, lateral agility, I still want to see it in the game against some of the better defensive tackles uh, out there. How does he handle snapping in a game? A practice is a little bit different. Clearly, I don't think he's going to have perfect snaps, but I do want to see, is there a drop-off from practice to a game in terms of the quality of his snaps? And if so, 
how big is that drop-off? I think Florida State's offensive line is going to be pretty bad at some other spots. So you can't afford to have bad snaps, which reduce the amount of time that the quarterback has to, to look around and survey the field and, and, and throw the ball or screw up the timing on a run play. Getting the snaps important. I have some faith that Babyon uh, is going to be better at snapping the ball than some people think. Um, not saying he's going to have a great year or anything, but but I, I think he's primed to have a – I think he can be as good as Everly was last year. Uh, not to get us too far off track, but the, the whole issue of snapping there just catches me. It's something certainly that a massive amount of the fan base had frustrations with Everly's, uh, Everly's consistency there. Um, is that just something, in your opinion, that uh, Florida State wasn't coaching well enough? Uh, just a, a, a odd sample set of two kids that – had trouble with one of the fundamental demands of the of the position. Where do you think that uh, was? That just something that I, I'm even more baffled by that. That when you think of Rick Trickett, what is his specialty? What is what is he? What did he put out at West Virginia originally when he came to Florida State? Uh, it was Remington Award winners. I mean, the guy worked with centers is better than probably anybody in the country. And then all of a sudden, we've got two guys who. Uh, really struggle to get the ball back to the quarterback in a consistent fashion. It, it is pretty amazing. Um, and, and yet it, it's true. Like we, we, we've seen it happen multiple times. Um, as a reserve at center, uh, your, your first man up is going to be Andrew Roselli, who returned to the team as a walk-on, uh, obviously had a number of problems that led him uh, to leave the team, but is now, is now back. Uh, looks like he's actually in pretty good shape. Now, I'm not saying that there's not a drop-off physically between him and Johnson, because I, I think there there is, and I think it's a legitimate drop-off. However, I do have to say, like, that's kind of a... That's that's kind of nice to have him back, right? Because your, your, your backup to him is, is Maurice Smith, the true freshman out of Miami Central, who I, I think could be a decent player long-term, but it is, is not somebody you want playing uh, early on in the year. So overall, center position, I I, I feel I, – I think I feel okay about. Like, I don't think it's going to be good, but I, I don't think it's going to be a disaster. Baselli's a kid who, uh, like, you know, we all grew up, saw a lot of guys who uh, – I don't want to say turn their life around, but just found found a path and a meaning and a, an absolute uh, idea as to what they wanted to do. And it sounds like I don't know if that's happened exactly for Baselli, but he has a lot more clarity and uh, seems to seems to be trying to make the most of a second opportunity. So I agree, gives you a lot more confidence in what you have at the position. And uh, I think this is a place where I'm kind of cautiously optimistic. Think uh, think Florida State has a chance to be decent when it comes to the middle of the offensive line. We'll move to the left and the right of him at the guard spots here, bud. Uh, where do you want to start this conversation exactly? Uh, Brady Scott, perhaps, is the most appropriate name? Let's just let, – let's stay on this positive track, man. Um, Brady Scott is a guy who, in my opinion, uh, had two things working against him last year. Number one, I think he was thrust into the fire way too early for, for where he was within his career development. I think he was a guy that I would project to be a longer-term player and uh, like not somebody who you want to be relying on that early in his career. Uh, number two, he was largely playing out of position. They had Brady Scott playing too early in his career and playing tackle. 
Now, look, he tried his best out there. I'm not trying to say the guy gave poor effort, but he was not a good player last year. I mean, he was one of the worst-rated players in the country for, for a period, and I think a lot of that was was due to that. Now, if you look at him, he looks like he's in, in good shape. He's a guy who we always kind of thought, if I could think back on this, what, what class was he in? Was he in the 17 class? I believe so, yeah. So, I mean, he was a guy I think we were thinking, okay, maybe in his, like, redshirt junior year so his fourth year in the program maybe he could, he could be a guy who could play for you well this is his third year not his not his fourth i mean maybe it's not totally totally like, like ideal but i do think he's going to be in a better spot this year than he was last year i know he's listed as a tackle coming out of high school I, i've always thought he was more of a guard i i think that's what florida state thought uh, of him as well so you know i i think he could end up being a like I think he could end up not killing you now that he's playing his more natural position and uh, and, and not uh, not having to play tackle and not having to play too early in his career. I, you're going to see better assignment soundness from, from Scott. Not that he was a guy who didn't know what to do last year, but I don't think he had the perfect tackle technique. Uh, I think he had to overextend himself at times, which which opened him up to counter moves. And I would expect him to play uh, to play better this year than he did last year. Keeping in perspective with, with all the stuff we talk about here at guard, right? If Cole Minshew and Dickerson are healthy, uh, maybe Dickerson will be playing tackle, actually. But if Minshew's healthy, at least one of these guys we're going to talk about would not be starting in guard. Agreed? Well, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. We'll uh, we'll move to Mark. Uh, Mark. We'll move to Mike Arnold uh, real briefly. A kid who. Uh, well, he's he's also been moved around a little bit. And, uh, look, there's a lot of guys on this offensive line that have uh, some skepticism attached to their name. And uh, Arnold is one for me. I think he's uh, have some pieces to work with there. He's, you know, he's 6'6", six, six, what, 2, uh, 3'15", somewhere in that area. Uh, I would, I would if, if you gave me an over-under 3'15", I, I would mortgage my house on the over. Excuse me. Yeah, no, no. He's, and then I would, I would, I would pay off. Like, like I, I would pay off my first and my second. Yeah, I'll call him six six two thirty. That'd be a, a better two thirty. I'm, I'm, I'm delivering good information tonight. Very good. Uh, <laughs> big guy. One of the few big guys that Florida State's had on its roster that was, uh, you know, legitimately recruited to uh, play for decent, uh, decent college um, level that that we associate with Florida State and other higher-end programs. I don't know. I, I don't want to make too much out of what I saw last year, uh, but I, j- there are just some fundamental things that I, I question as to what Arnold can do. Uh, I do think he's better fit at a guard than tackle, uh, but I'm, I'm very curious as to what the new offensive line coach can ultimately get out of him. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I have concerns that he uh, that that he's not in as good a shape as he could be. Uh, like he, of all the offensive linemen out there who are contending for starting spots, uh, Mike Arnold is is the one who looks like the most overweight in a negative way, and that's not a good thing. You know, to, to have have one of your veterans. It, you know, not not specifically talking about Arnold, but I. Just from talking to people in the program, I, I think that this staff really likes its younger players and some of the veterans. But there are also guys, for sure, who I don't think would be on this roster still 
if the APR wasn't as bad as it is and and the staff could actually move on from some players who, you know, like, like but they, they need them to stay in and graduate because the APR is the worst in the entire country, thanks Jimbo Fisher. And thus they have, they have to keep those guys around. Uh, but some positives about Arnold, okay? He is huge. That's both good and bad. I think probably a net negative because of, of the tempo this offense wants wants to operate at, but potentially a positive. He probably won't get knocked back that much. Um, he uh, he is generally, I would say, assignment sound, right? Like he doesn't like he seems to know what he's doing, which is actually a good way to stand out in a positive way. <laughs> in last year's scheme, this year hopefully more people will know what they're doing on a more consistent basis, uh, but. The negatives, obviously, like I said, the the size, perhaps the conditioning, um, the the lack of explosiveness and physicality relative to his body size is has not been not been good, um, and he has left the door open here for another guy. And, and I got to tell you, I'm not 100 percent sold. This next guy is gonna is gonna beat him out in game one because the game one is Boise State, and Boise State has a really good defensive line. And they're probably going to give FSU some trouble. And you don't know if you want to start a true freshman against Boise State in his first ever game. You might go with a guy who's a lot lower ceiling in Mike Arnold, but maybe a little bit higher floor potentially. But damn, if if uh, if one of these two guys really got in shape and the other didn't. And the second guy I'm talking about here is Dante Lucas. Lucas looks, uh, I mean, he looks like what you would need somebody to walk onto campus looking like if you needed him to start as a freshman, needed him to play along the line of scrimmage. Uh, he's a guy who's uh, reshaped his body. We've talked a, a good bit about that uh, in the past couple of episodes and looks to be, uh, looks to have a real good chance, uh, better than 50-50 chance in my opinion, to be your uh, day one starter. I, I think he starts against Boise and I think he starts the rest of the year uh, if, if his health is there. I think it's uh, – one of the few real pieces that you have to work with along this offensive line. And in my opinion, if you're choosing between one and the other, uh, you take your lumps with the younger prospect. You go ahead and you start coaching uh, for as many years as you have this guy. And he's a he's a real valuable asset at a position that doesn't have too many assets quite, uh, quite like Lucas. I mean, from damn near 317 this time last year, I think at, at IMG or or close to it, uh, it's like three seventeen ish. Now that's that's really good progress. That's a guy who's determined to come in and and make an impact early. And due to the the lack of depth, especially lack of quality depth and lack of Florida State caliber players on this uh, in this unit, um, he's going to have a shot to make that impact. Let me throw a little prop out here for you, Andrew. If I said I'll give you three to one that that uh, Mike Arnold starts more games than Dante Lucas, not due to injury. You taking it? No, I'm staying with Lucas. Yeah, I I think I'm kind of with you there. Like, I'm not 100% convinced he starts Boise. But if you gave me some kind of season-long prop where I said, okay, who's going to start more games, Lucas or, or Arnold? I'm probably going to take Lucas take this time to thank our friends over at Madison Social for the uh, support they've given us since the inception of the Nolcast. And also want to thank you, the listener. Proud to announce that we're not 
talking about selling any more tickets. Uh, in fact, they've all sold out for the Jacksonville tailgate. So just an incredible response from our listeners and uh, just the community in general. I want to thank you for the support that you've given our sponsors in general, but particularly on this one. Uh, we're fortunate to be able to work with people like Madison Social and Matt and his team, and uh, you guys are put your, put your trust in great hands. Uh, hospitality professionals, uh, and we all look forward to meeting end of August and uh, enjoying a sold-out tailgate and beginning of the football season. Almost 3,000 tickets. Nullcast listeners, y'all are awesome. You recognize a great product. And for those of y'all who didn't get tickets, we're, we are really sorry, but, but we can't say we didn't tell you. We've been promoting this all summer, and it's going to be a blast. We'll see you there. The other guy here who I, we probably need to talk about a little bit is Christian Meadows. He was a member of that 2018 class. He's really been unable to stay healthy so far, so I have no idea what they can get out of him. That's that's not a cop-out. He just literally has not been practicing hardly at all and, and had injury issues last year. So uh, don't really know what you're going to get out of him. I, I feel like the guard position has the best depth of, of the three positions simply because you have Scott, Lucas, and Arnold who – I don't want to say you can depend on, but like there are three guys who I don't think if you throw them out there, they'll be total disasters, which is better than I could say for some other positions. <laughs> Speaking yeah. of which, we, we well, got to do it at some point. All right. Offense tackle. Why don't we go ahead and start with, uh, start with Juwan Williams. A guy that certainly his shortcomings were well documented last year. Pro football focus, worst offensive lineman in the country. Uh, in my opinion, not hyperbole to state that he might have been the worst offensive player in all of college football. There's so well, you can't score worse than a zero in a game. Yeah, you, that's right. Zeros says I'm fond of saying zeros don't average well, and when you get rated to zero, it doesn't mean there's a whole lot of room to go in the other direction. A guy that there's some stories that he's put on. He's he's obviously put on weight. That's not a story or whether or not, but put on some. Productive weight, maybe has a little more trust uh, in his shoulder. Uh, there, there's some quiet optimism about uh, Williams. Uh, I, I use that, you know, optimism uh, again. Just any clip of him proving he's a capable blocker is a a giant upgrade from anything that was put on film uh, on Saturday. So, um, give us your opinion of him. Whether or not you believe you know, some of the some of the hype uh, may be too, too strong of a word, but just the idea that you might see a significant reversal of fortunes from a, a player that uh, certainly physically gifted, you know, maybe one of the better, uh, maybe one of the better signing day <laughs> moments that doesn't have anything to do with the hat game or whatever else is, uh, what did this, didn't this kid put his ankle behind his head on yes, ESPN he, he news both, or something like that? Both feet behind his head. Yeah. Yeah. So crazy flexibility, uh, physically, you know, in ways physically gifted, also in other ways maybe slightly limited, but uh, the much discussed Jawan Williams. Highest ceiling, lowest floor of any player on the team? Like like the biggest gap between ceiling and floor for this year? Like may- maybe the last 10 years, to be honest. I mean, <laughs> it's it's crazy. It's crazy the, the variance that exists for this guy. All right, so – I have no idea what he's going to do. Let, let's go over some of the stuff that, that we know is tangible, right? Um, last year, he did lack experience, so that was true. This year, he will have more experience. So we're, we're going to start with the positives here. Uh, last year, we know he was coming off uh, surgeries and was not able to lift a whole lot in the weight room. 
Now, I don't know if I truly believe those numbers that are in some of those stories about how he wasn't able to bench 275 or whatever last year. And I, I, I think but, 225, was it? Okay. Well, it doesn't matter. Whatever the weight is, it's yeah, it doesn't matter. I, I'm accepting as true that he is stronger now and probably considerably stronger. Um, do I think he was actually 273 last year? No, I don't. I, I, I don't think he was that light. Um, just from seeing him in person, I, I, I have a pretty good idea what guys weigh. But regardless, I think he's stronger. Uh, I think that it is possible for him to get more confidence from being stronger. I know for a fact that one of Randy Clement's primary objectives has been to build up Jawan Williams' confidence on a daily basis. I had people who were at practice, like the whole practice, not just the media viewing portion, who would tell me they were like shocked at just how much praise and like gleeful giddiness Randy Clements would have in the spring when Williams did something that was remotely positive. Because this is kind of a broken kid as a player, I think, right? Just somebody who, I can tell you there are guys on staff who had totally given up any hope that, that he could ever be anything. Some of those guys are still on staff and some of them are no, are no longer here. So take that for what it's worth. But if he is going to be a player who is who is somebody you don't have to immediately bench. He has to have a lot more confidence. That confidence could come from the greater strength. It could come from having more experience. It could come from having a coach who, who he thinks believes in him, right? Um, and who, you know, maybe from building upon baby steps in practice, right? Actually hitting a blocking sled hard, taking a, a good step, all, all that stuff. That's, that's important. And we have heard positive reports of his improvement. Not that he's a good player right now, but that he's improved. And then there's this. We heard some of this stuff last year, right? Out of practice. And when he got in games, it was a complete and total mental meltdown. You don't get a zero against Syracuse by, by getting physically whipped, although that happened too. You get it because you completely forget your footwork and your assignments, and, and you and you panic and all that stuff. And, and if you watch that game, the technique he was using, Greg Fry wasn't teaching him that technique. Really, Taggart wasn't teaching him that technique. None of those guys were teaching him that technique. That is just completely forgetting what you're supposed to be doing or melting down, really, mental meltdown. That's probably the number one factor why I have a hard time saying anything Yes, he's going to be good or, or serviceable. No, he won't. Because I don't know if that's going to happen again under a new coach. But I know it wasn't a thing that the staff was taking lightly. Like, that was a big issue. And there was a stretch in the middle of the season he didn't play. And then they thought they had kind of rehabbed him in, in practice. And then they threw him back out there for the last couple of games. And it was really more of the same. And at that point, they were like, I don't know what to do. Right? Like, the gap between what this guy shows in practice and what this guy shows in the game is is massive. It's uh again the the window of what you can get from Williams is is as wide as any player that I've seen, uh, at least the potential, and uh, hopefully brings it together. Uh, and that's all we can really say. Uh, one of the one of the few pieces that uh, was a, a pretty big recruit, particularly on the outside of the line, uh, a guy who's got. Uh, who's got what you would need to physically at least be an, an above-average player at this level. And uh, the questions are, are very much between the between the ears and whether or not he can handle just 
you know, when the when the when the bullets go live. Uh, all right, bud. Spent a good bit of time there on Williams. We'll transfer over to the other side, uh, at least where we. Uh, project at this point to be the other starter. Florida State fans got to see him last year in a, a pretty impressive performance, or at least recently, uh, against a future first-round pick, Ryan Roberts out of NIU, uh, a guy who has come in and, by all accounts, made a made a starter position his. Yeah, uh, I, I think over there they're fairly happy with, with what they're getting out of Ryan Roberts so far. Transfer from Northern Illinois. Look, he, he was not even like the sole starter at Northern Illinois. So let's let's pump the brakes about this guy being any kind of superstar. Um, he wasn't. He kind of lost his job for periods of time in his career at Northern Illinois, but he graduated. He has the size, and Florida State, in my opinion, needed to bring in three college-ready junior college or grad transfer bodies. They failed to do so. They only brought in uh, two, only one of whom was actually ready, and that was Roberts. But so far in camp, Roberts has been basically the sole guy at right tackle, and I think if he can just play at a uh, below-average level there at right tackle, they would be doing backflips, even if, if he plays at a bad level as opposed to you know what they had last year, which was just complete terrible, like miles from bad. Uh, I think they'd still be very happy. He has the size. I don't know if he's all that physical, but he's a player who I would project, even though he's new in the offense – I would project to probably not have that many mental busts. Um, seems to be picking up the offense pretty quickly from what I've been told. And I, I think his technique is something they can work with. Whereas on the other side, you know, Juwan's technique, it still needs a lot of work, and they have no idea if it's going to hold up in an actual game. But with Roberts, I would say that Roberts – is that the position where you're most confident in an upgrade? 2019 Ryan Roberts over – uh, 2018, Brady Scott, Arthur Williams. Who else did they start? I'm looking back who, who they started last year. I actually had a, I had a list of, of who started at, at each position. So, yeah, last year they had some Brady Scott right tackle. They had a little Derek Kelly right tackle. They had an Abdul Bello right tackle. Um, I think they had Arthur Williams at, at right tackle for a minute, and he, he went back inside pretty quickly. That's probably the position on the offensive line that I'm most confident is going to be better than last year is is Ryan Roberts being better than than whoever they had at right tackle last year. Yeah, I think that's a safe bet. I think, uh, again, obviously everything's put through the filter of uh, health being there, but uh, that's, as, that's as sure of a thing as you have uh, on the offensive line at this point in time. And uh, I think you're – very appropriate to point out the concerns uh, with, with in, in our opinion, they needed three. Uh, you said they got two and one that's ready, and we'll see see what comes of, uh, of the other prospect, but it doesn't sound as though he'll be anywhere near contributing anytime soon. So you're, the guy you're most confident in is a guy who wasn't even a full-time starter in Northern Illinois last year. I'm just, just pointing this out for perspective for folks out there. The guy that Ingram and I are both confident in represents an upgrade over last year, someone who was not even a full-time starter at Northern Illinois last year. Just saying. We did see him do a pretty decent job against Brian Burns, but at other times, not as good. Uh, so, backups here at Off to Tackle, and this uh, this is kind of scary. Yeah, this is scary. Uh, 
Christian Armstrong is a uh, offensive line prospect at the middle, uh, the central part of the state of Georgia. Warner Robbins, uh, a guy who might project as a, a player at some point in his career, uh, but not somebody that you necessarily want seeing any time uh, soon out there. Uh, Abdu Bello, man, classify. I'll be a lot shorter and not nearly as long-winded as I was with my Mike Arnold concerns when I put all the, almost all of the same thing uh, when we have the Abdul Bello discussion. Uh, Jalen Goss, Chaz Neal, there's a, and we'll talk about all these kids briefly, but a, a whole lot of question marks and concerns uh, once you get to the second layer of the tackles. Oh, yeah, real concerned. Um, okay. Christian Armstrong, you, you want to see some toughness out of him. You don't know if you're going to get it. And I, I don't think he's like ready to to help you out if, if you need it over a long series of snaps. Maybe he could, he could give you some spot help. Abdul Bello, I'm yet to really see any evidence he can play. I think he's a guy who at one time was a very high upside player, and he did not get the development he needed at Florida State in part due to the fact that you know the old staff was really neglecting the program, uh, and in part due to the fact that that he had several major injuries upon entering Florida State, and it kind of robbed him of that developmental time. But if he has to play, I think you're in real trouble. Uh, Jalen Goss has not gained the weight they needed him to gain. He's an aggressive player, but he's still like under 280 pounds, and that's not good. It, it, it makes me think they need to go ahead and take another junior college guy this year because I just named off two dudes in, in the first two classes who they've signed here in Armstrong Goss, and Neither of them are, are close to being ready to be a starter. Man, Goss looks like he'd he'd be your like that he'd get moments as a guard or forward on the basketball team before he does an offensive lineman. That's his that's his uh as skinny of an offensive lineman as, as I think I've ever seen. Yeah, he's he's not equipped to play at that size. Now I'm not saying he couldn't give you a couple of reps, but like a guy who's that small is not gonna hold up over a twelve game schedule in the ACC, and we laugh at ACC, but the defensive lines in the ACC are, are pretty damn good. So that that's kind of scary. We know Goss has actually been getting some work as a, a tight end slash sixth offensive lineman. That's not anything secret. They've actually shown that in the open portion, so I don't mind talking about that. Uh, Chaz Neal has actually been getting some praise as far as improvement, but I, I, I want to stress this. I, we had, we've had some people email us that, oh, you know, I've heard Chaz Neal is doing really well, and, and he's, he's in line for a starting spot and all this stuff. I that's just not the feedback I've got. I've gotten that he's improved, but you have to remember where Chaz Neal is coming from. I, myself and other people who are evaluators for a living really strongly disagreed with taking Chaz Neal as a scholarship player. And for him to go from like totally doesn't belong to improved is one thing, but improved from, from where he was coming from does not mean that he's anywhere close to being a Florida State caliber tackle at this point. Now, I, I think I'm already kind of eating my words in that he might eventually be somebody who potentially could play for you. But if he has to play this year, I have my doubts that, that he's going to be able to play at a high level. Maybe, maybe they can work some magic with him. Jay Williams, the junior college kid they brought in, doesn't seem like he can play. At least not this year. We, we know he's very new to the position, and this is a failure by Willie Taggart and his staff to bring in enough bodies who are ready to make an impact. Uh, I think it will cost them at least one win this year. If they had had two new starters on the offensive line from the junior college or transfer ranks, 
I think I would ultimately, or especially if they had three, I would have likely changed my win prediction uh, up one. And I'm already bumping at several wins from, from last year, for the record, just uh, foreshadowing there. But yeah, man, their tackle position here is is once again scary. If, if they have an injury, going to start downgrading the expectations for the offense because the, the drop-off from the starters to the backups is, is legitimate. Although maybe not quite as bad as it was last year. Yeah, uh, maybe not quite as bad as last year. But if, if you do have any kind of concentrated injuries here at all, or even a injury at tackle. You could miss a bowl again. Cut and paste. Words out of my mouth. I was going to say cut sorry. and paste the conversation. No, no, sorry, needed. You're damn right. Same thing we said last year. No bowl. Very possible. Uh, programs, is, <laughs> uh, no reason to have the whole conversation again, but the program just doesn't have bodies. And you weren't able to get enough of them in yet. Uh, to really be serious football players. So uh, offensive line, fingers crossed. Hope it stays together if you're a Florida State fan. Um, if it does, uh, I think I might even be slightly more optimistic uh, than Bud with what you can get out of the group. I think you've made a significant upgrade in coaching, and uh, that'll kind of be where we take it now as, as far as a little bit of uh, ideas, what they want to do with uh, philosophy and how they scheme and how they're trying to execute what they're doing along the line of scrimmage this year. Resolution Home Loans is proud to be a sponsor of the Nolcast for yet another year and to help bring you these season preview episodes and hopefully make your August a little more enjoyable. They're also here to help you find a good home loan. Mine is through Resolution. Almost 30 Nolcast listeners have now used Resolution Home Loans to find their mortgage. That's the key. Working with Shannon Young, great customer service, great rates. He'll walk through the process, 844-FSU-LOAN. Or visit FSUHomeLoans.com. I think you guys can tell that I'm actually kind of optimistic about this offensive line, especially where it was last year. The reason for that optimism, I'll be real clear here, is not the talent. It is. It's definitely not the talent. Uh, it's 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 the coaching. I, I think Coach Randy Clements is an excellent hire. I love the pairing of him with Coach Bryles, but even if Coach Bryles had not come in, I still think Coach Clements would have represented a, a significant upgrade. And, and there's a number of reasons why I think this. Number one, talking to people in Texas who cover recruiting, who cover high school ball, and who cover college ball, man, they all love this guy. They really think he does a tremendous job with, with, with offensive linemen. He gets them to be about as nasty as they can be. He gets them to be more physical than people think they can be. Baylor, back when he was there, they were a very physical offensive line. They were not a, a, a program that people think, oh, spread it out, chuck it, all that stuff. No, they – they were a smash-mouth spread football team, and that's exactly what Willie Taggart wants Florida State to be. Now, one one hand, and, and, and you know what, in the other, with the talent you have, but I, I do think he's going to do a good job of, of maximizing the players that he has here on this roster. Um, he also has the benefit of, of seeing what happened last year and formulating his plan in spring and fall based on that. And coaches always say, well, I, I don't watch last year because I want to give everybody a clean slate and, and all this kind of stuff. And that's sometimes true. But I think if you're him, you kind of got to watch last year a little bit and see what was happening and then say, okay, wh- where do we start building from with this group? And maybe maybe the first couple of days of spring, you, you, you have them go through their drills and you confirm, oh, this, this depressingly really kind of is where they're at. And, uh, you know, it's it's weird and we have to harp on this, but they're, this is the position group that is so far below the rest of the, of, of the team um, that, that it's – it's problematic. 
But I think no, being able to formulate the plan after seeing last year is a big deal. And one of the things we've seen is, is a real emphasis on fundamentals, 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 and, and having this group work together as a team. I, I don't think they're doing just a, a tremendous amount of scheme relative to maybe what some other coaches would be doing in fall. Now, that's not to say they're not assignment sound, they're not focusing on assignments, but so many of these guys last year, their technique was was really poor, uh, and it's not like they're going to get more talented year over year, especially because they really didn't bring in very many new players uh, from from the transfer ranks. Getting these guys to play with better technique is is a really big thing. So I, I think that's something there that, uh, that, that, that he has focused on Quite a bit. Another thing he's focused on here, Ingram, is is a real emphasis on first level movement. And what I mean is not on linebackers, but on actually getting movement at the point of attack with your double teams against your down linemen. It's uh, just one of his kind of fundamental ideas as far as what he's trying to do. You just get the initial push. And uh, it, if it means you maybe don't have quite the chance at the home run, uh, ball, then so be it. With this offense, you'd kind of uh, hope that maybe a running back would just be happy that he, he did get that initial block and would have confidence in himself to make the second man miss. Uh, but it, it is somebody that philosophically is much more interested in getting the uh, the push on the first guy uh, rather than the idea of getting the push and also being able to scoop or seal with the second individual. Exactly. And it's not to say they don't ever want him to climb, but but securing that first level push is is really important. And that's just something that, that pairs well with our one of our key stats of the night, courtesy of David Hale. Uh, Florida State had two, two net yards before contact last year on the season running the football on first and second down. Uh, two net yards, which is the worst in the nation by a, a mile. And uh, so if you can get some first-level movement, I, I think you may be able to, to uh, eclipse that, maybe on the first play of the year. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a great little, like, 90-second clip of um, on Florida State social media, something they had uh, they had Clements mic'd up. It's uh, just a lot of little fun things that you can take away from that. One, you get to see a coach who's really um, doing a lot of man management, trying to pump some confidence into a kid. Uh, encourages and take a Gatorade break in front of Odell Haggins, which is uh, always a funny series of events. But uh, and also nice to see the way that uh, Clements. You know, a lot of people can be uh, assholes or whatever else. I don't think anybody goes around Tallahassee questioning Odell too much. But a, a coach, obviously, who's uh, who's willing to <laughs> take Odell's uh, Gatorade talk and, and get on with it. Uh, it's just a nice little moment that was captured by the social media team and something that I'd point our listeners in uh, if they haven't already otherwise seen it. Absolutely. I, I know some, some media talked to him in media day that he mentioned that he actually works out with, uh, with the offensive linemen. So he, he does his lifting while they do their lifting to really kind of bond as a unit and, and a unit that was battered and bruised last year. And, and they heard the criticism and it wasn't unjustified, but it was constant because their play was constantly terrible. Uh, so one thing I think we will see him improve, and, and part of this is going to be better coaching. Part of this will be better technique. Part of this will be better teamwork. And I think a good part of this will be scheme, right? Scheming around this deficiency, because now you've had a whole year to see what this line is and what it's not. And, and now you can hopefully design your scheme around it some. But David Hale had a good stat, and we reference David a lot because he seems to be like one of the only guys at ESPN who actually like takes their enormous stats database that I wish I could get my hands on. 
and, uh, and, and run queries on it. So he looked up the offensive line suck rate. Not sack rate, but suck rate, okay? Uh, and what that is, it's runs stopped for loss or no gain and pass plays under pressure divided by total snaps. So how often are your plays either a run that are getting stopped for a loss or no gain or a pass that was under pressure? Well, you want to guess where Florida State rated in this stat nationally? Florida State seemed to be ranked a lot of things when it comes to the offensive linemen. as a one a triple-digit stat and more frequently than not a stat that started with either a 1-1 or a 1-2. Yeah, this was one of those 1-2s. 1-2-6. 1-2-6 out of 130 mm. uh, nationally in the <laughs> offensive line suck rate. So, uh, man, you would hate to be one of the teams. I think Rutgers – Tennessee and maybe one other team. Um, although Rutgers was starting a true freshman quarterback who had no idea what he was doing. So I, I kind of struggled to put that all on, on their offensive line. Anyway, the cool thing was David went the extra mile. And I do point you to his uh, – just Google like David Hale football blog. This is kind of something he does in, in his spare time on top of the ESPN work. And he looked up kind of what the average improvement was for a team. And he said he, the average was, was – most of them do improve. Among those who improve, it was usually about 12%. But you know, common improvement among the teams who improve, which I would project improvement here, was 10 to 15%. But he said, look, even on the high end, they're still in, in the quote-unquote bad category, like not even below average. Even if you're So this team very well could have one of the biggest offensive line turnarounds in recent history and still not get the below average, right? I mean, you can move about 50 Almost cursed. You can move up 50 spots and be 75th in the nation. Now, 50 spots would be an enormous jump, right? I mean, that would that would probably be like everybody's staying healthy and everybody is not melting down in games and, and working together and et cetera, et cetera. But I, I do think a, a sizable jump is possible. And, and one of the – I think specifically as far as what they're going to do to achieve that, two things. Number one – a lot of RPO, which involves run blocking on pass plays, or at least run action blocking on pass plays. That's going to help this offensive line because it's going to help them be more aggressive. And on those RPOs, we know the ball comes out quick. The quarterback can't hold it forever. Hey, it's, it's hard to get a, a pressure on a quarterback if the ball is coming out super quick. They should be better in that. It also will probably help them with, with the run game a little bit because it causes some indecisiveness. In the defense. The other thing I think they're going to do better this year and more of, and this is something actually a lot of fans pointed out last year, is more max protection. I don't think the staff is in love with these quarterback stats. I'm not saying that the staff thinks they're terrible or anything like that, but look at some of the language they're using to describe the quarterbacks. Oh, experienced, leader. Not a whole lot about the actual like talent or performance of the quarterback so far. I don't think that James Blackman's a guy who's going to sit back there and read all five targets. And thus, I don't think they're going to give him five targets. I think they're going to keep in seven-man protections, you know, keep it tied in in the back or, or two backs in quite often and just send three deep and really try to help out this offensive line and, and hopefully get some one-on-one coverage down the field and let your receivers win. So I, I think more RPO and then more max protection are, are two of the ways that they're going to help this line be better quite a bit in addition to, to focusing – on getting those first level blocks. We'll move to the uh, ceiling floor discussion here for the offensive line and what exactly we think, uh, but I'll go first. I think uh, the floor is, I mean, 
126 in the country and suck rate. That's a I, I, I think we've seen what the floor looks like, uh, and that's probably right about uh, as bad as it could be. And maybe worst case scenario, what you see out of this group again. Uh, best case scenario, I think uh, you finish. You have a unit that finishes somewhere between 75th and 80th in the country, which basically is what you just pointed out. Uh, it would be a 50-spot improvement. It would be a massive, massive gain. And it's still going to be a unit that gets your quarterback sacked all the time that has uh, far too many individuals in the backfield uh, when you're trying to run the ball. It's uh, it's it's going to be a very real work in progress. And just because you see that 50-spot improvement doesn't mean that there's also not going to be moments in the game where uh, – the offensive line is is the massive liability that we know it to be all too well. I, I think my split, and I'm really right there with you, man. I think my split might be even a little bit wider. I think their floor is worse than the nation. All right, I, I, if you if you get some injuries at offensive tackle early, you're you're in big time trouble. I think that's their floor is is dead last now. I do think they'll be better coached regardless, so, so I don't I don't think you're gonna hit that floor. And ceiling wise, I, I might be a little bit higher you higher than you in a wider split on that too. My ceiling, so my, my my ceiling scenario here, absolute ceiling. Fabian Johnson can snap the football and uh and, and ends up being a little bit better than Everly. Juwan Williams and Ryan Roberts both play at a competent level and give you at least let's say uh, 20 combined starts. So one or fewer games missed for, for each of them. And then obviously you don't have some sort of injury disaster on, on the interior at, at your guard spots. If they get that, hell, they, they if they get all that, they could have the potentially like the biggest turnaround in offensive line history that anybody's ever measured. It's just not that likely that all that stuff goes right. I think if all that stuff went right, they could be literally I don't know, like 60th? That's top half in the nation. And I do think that their their numbers are going to be better this year regardless simply due to scheme. But I, I think the, the midline is, is I'm right there with you. To me, this is a legitimate four-year rebuild process. Maybe not for the program, but certainly for the offensive line, can can you get to bad? Can you go from arguably worse than the nation and in some metrics to to just bad? Can you get me to like at least 80th? You know? Can you get me somewhere in that range? Because if so, I think you're going to have an offense that's going to go from 97th last year to, to top half of the nation for sure. 30 or 40 spot jump just from having your offensive line improved like that. We said there might be moments in this conversation where there was some fun, you know? I mean, that's fun. I don't think we're getting too far over our skis here. We're we're trying to be as honest about the the holes and the the downfalls as possible while at the same time acknowledging that we both think Florida State hit a home run when it comes to the hire uh, and that they have about as good of anybody as they could uh, in the country to address the situation that they do. And by all accounts, it's been a it's been a positive project so far. But, uh, you know, first first blown assignment uh, has yet to come and we'll see how everybody handles it once the uh, once the real concerns come and and some of the tape that we saw from last year and whether or not it kind of reverts to form. So, 
I guess another way to think about this, in my current projection, I think Roberts might be their best lineman, right? Kind of like my, my midline projection. If they get the ceiling, that would probably mean that Babyon outplays him, that Juwan, if he stays healthy and is consistent, outplays him. And heck, maybe one of the guards outplays him. If you tell me that Ryan Roberts is your fourth best offensive lineman, then, then you know, 60th or better is potentially possible as long as they stay completely healthy and don't have to tap into the non-existent depth. That's kind of how I get to my ceiling. I can also paint you a real easy picture of how they, they end up worse in the nation. But I don't think either of those things are going to happen. I think they'll have legitimate, consistent improvement. We're excited to be doing these previews, and we're excited to tell you about Travis Johnson, attorney at law. Travis Johnson is one of two, only 280 board-certified family law attorneys in the state of Florida. That's out of 110,000 licensed attorneys in Florida. There are a lot of them. He's one of the best. AV rated. He's on super lawyers. He's taught university classes. He's presented at CLEs. He has a statewide practice based in Pensacola, but will come to you anywhere you need in the state from a small family law matter to big complex family law litigation. He's there for you. Also very experienced in, in appellate work. But remember, appellate work with family law can be difficult to win. Travis wants you to win the first time. 850-435-9919 to get experienced, quality family law representation. Travis Johnson of MetterJohnsonLaw.com. You want being to take this, we, this listener question? I was going to say, being that we've done an hour on the offensive line, we'll, we'll wow. probably we'll probably just uh, address but one listener question for this position group. Uh, so it's been a fun conversation. I've enjoyed it, and hopefully the listeners will as well. Uh, the question comes, uh, after listening to the latest podcast, I was thinking if Florida State had an offensive line this season of Ball, Minshew, Johnson, Dickerson, and Roberts as their starting five, would it change your win totals? Uh, would that get you the three to four starters needed to be in the good slash average range? There's no doubt. Right now, I think they're probably going to struggle to get to below average. I, I think they'll they'll take an enormous jump from like horrible to upper range of bad. But. Uh, if you give me this, which is what the staff thought they were going to have about this time last year for 19, yeah, I'm probably projecting like a full win better because not only does this help the ceiling a lot because Dickerson has a talent level that, that nobody else on this team has. Um, you know, Minshew has experience and would, would be an easy starter. I think Ball would be an easy starter. It also the, – the, the floor elimination that this gives you is, is significant. You lose a tackle with this – and I'm not freaking out. You lose a tackle right now, and you got problems. That's a big. That's a really big deal. And on the interior, you could bring you could bring Lucas along more slowly if you wanted, or if if he won the job, you knew that he was beating out somebody other, other than than Mike Arnold. Yeah, th- this would be at, at least half a win, and, and potentially a, a full win better for me. And I would almost never say that about a single position group, but it, it's also so rare that you have one position group. That is like so much worse or so much better than the rest of a team's position groups, right? I mean, this is the only one that you would legitimately still grade at like a D or an F, potentially. Although they could also be better than than that, even. You know, I think they can go from like an F to a D or or a D plus. But you give them this, they would be a heck of a lot better. But that's that's not happening. 
share your sentiments. I think that's a fine answer to a question. And uh, thank everybody for tuning in. Uh, this is a this is one of the ones that I was looking forward to doing. And uh, hopefully, you feel we give you as, as good of an idea as how this might play out in 2019. So uh, for that, we'll uh, move to our opponent preview. All right, bud, transfer over to our program. Uh, all right, bud, we'll transfer over to our opponent preview here. Talk a little Miami of Florida, a uh, program that's uh, – there's there's some aspects of this that somewhat remind me of Florida State last year with fan base uh, real enthused with first-year coach, uh, made some interesting hires, and uh, a program that's got some talent, kind of trying to find their feet at a couple position groups, but – uh, happy about where they are seemingly with uh, with what they've done on the offensive side of the ball. Brought Dan Enos in from uh, from Alabama to be offensive coordinator, and uh, it's a it's an interesting unit when we look at it. It's got some nice pieces uh, at some places, and a lot of a lot of <laughs> a lot of question marks at maybe the most important position on the field. It, it really does. Um, so let, let's go back to last year's game, right? Florida State was up in that game. They run a trick play that is incorrectly called back on a kind of a phantom penalty that, in my opinion, was incorrectly called. And a lot of people think FSU should have won that game. I'm actually not one of those people. Even if you count that in, that that play, Florida State in that game, on a down-to-down basis, if you look at it, was was pretty clearly outplayed. They had 13.3 yards per drive. They had 200 total yards. They had 3.08 yards of play. If you look at any of this stuff kind of in the actual production, Miami was a lot better team in that game. And that really kind of bore out in the other 11 games of the year for the Hurricanes. But yet Florida State, in my opinion, they were lucky to be that close. And yet they really still could have won the game. Uh, But they really couldn't block Miami kind of at all for the majority of the game. They just got out to a nice hot start where they are able to have some rushing success. If you look at it, though, once Miami adjusted, they really put the screws down. Here is Florida State's success rate by quarter. See if you notice a pattern here. 36, 30, 20, 19. It's going down every quarter, hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I don't know. That's not a popular take. I said the same thing last year, but it's hard for people to point to me a thing where they say, hey, Florida State should have won that game as far as on the quality of play. Now, as the events unfolded with that other, with that other touchdown, do I think it would have swung, swung momentum enough and give them a big enough lead to where they would have won the game? Yes, I do. But Miami was a better team than Florida State last year. I think they were actually a better team in that game. And yet that might not be the case this year. Because like you said, there are some changes down there in Coral Gables, and there are some areas where I think we believe they'll be better and some areas where we believe they will probably be worse. But you have to start it off. Like you said, they bring in Dan Enos. He was at Bama. He was at Arkansas. I think he's considered a very good quarterback coach. Not sure if he's considered a great offensive coordinator. But what are they going to do with the quarterback position? I mean, whenever I listen to any kind of wildly optimistic Miami fan, I, I quickly remind them of the fact that it was a good chance, maybe even a likely chance, that Nikosi Perry is your quarterback. And I, maybe there's maybe there's talent there that that kid's never showed. But in my opinion, that's 
that's kind of a hurdle I can't get over when I get myself too concerned about Miami. It's just a nice roster, some really nice pieces on the defensive side. But when you tell me about that, the conversation starts with Tate Martell and Nikosi Perry. Um, okay, maybe it does. Maybe those are some challenges that Miami learns how to get over over the course of a season with a new offensive coordinator. But that's a that's a whole lot of garbage to work with at the best position or the most important position on the field. All right, so look, I I think that there's a decent chance that they will have at least average quarterback play. But I'm not that confident they're going to have good quarterback play. Maybe they will, but like Martell so far hasn't blown people away. And it does seem like the reports out of Miami camp, if somebody's doing really well, it's going to get talked about. And so far, the word on the quarterbacks is kind of just, okay, should be improved. Like what Danny Enos is doing with them. It'd be, look, it'd be very hard not to be improved from Nikosi Perry last year. 4.78 yards per attempt. 17 sacks and 191 dropbacks. Uh, marginal efficiency was was negative. Malik Rozier was the better quarterback last year. I, I think by a good bit, with the exception of he did throw more interceptions in, in fewer attempts. But, I mean, look, Martell was a very highly got, like highly rated guy coming out of high school. I always thought that was based more on his high school performances as opposed to his long-term potential. Uh, but I think they'll be a little better at quarterback. Are, are they going to be a lot better? I, I'm not entirely convinced of that. Are no, I, and in fact, I'm probably more pessimistic about how this group projects uh, in general. I mean – <laughs> Nikosi Perry threw less interceptions because he threw more balls that nobody on the field had any chance of catching, uh, in my opinion. I, I just think you've got uh, – maybe there's a great leap forward here, but you got two pieces that uh, – hey, I said garbage earlier. That's probably not a fair term for me to use and probably me kind of getting more caught up in the emotional things when breaking down Miami of Florida. But uh, I just don't see a lot of a lot of pieces here regardless of who wins the position. I think you're right, but Miami of Florida also has a pretty big, pretty big guy to replace at the running back position, and that, that's Travis Homer, who was very underrated for them last year. 164 carries, 985 yards, six yards a carry, uh, also hit some big plays. He was pretty dependable for Miami of Florida, and yet I, I think they're still going to be okay at this position. I I like DJ Dallas. Cameron Harris was, was a highly rated guy. Lorenzo Linger's coming off off injury. Uh, they they should be. They should be okay here, in, in my opinion. Uh, they, they really like DJ Dallas. Maybe a little more than I do, but I, I might be higher on their depth than, than some of their fans are. Um, yeah, those are nice, solid pieces. And, and Homer was a, a solid, uh, tough kid. I never felt like he really had a great day against Florida State, but uh, uh, they've got three different pieces there, that uh, names that some Florida State fans will be familiar with uh, from recruiting. Uh, at wide receiver, You've got some nice pieces here. This should be a group that's improved, uh, if we're speaking honestly. Um, all of Miami, part of the challenge with projecting forward is that you got so many kids that have transferred in that it's a hard idea to to really project as to how they're going to take. Uh, but and, and this is particularly true when you're talking about wide receiver. Uh, if you want to group the tight ends together, uh, Jordan and Mallory are both nice Nice weapons, uh, maybe not dominant tight ends uh, that Miami's been able to, to boast of in the past. Certainly no pieces like that. Uh, but this is a, a strong group that if it if it grows well and comes together, they, they could have some nice pieces to work with uh, when throwing the ball. 
Yeah, I, I think their their tight ends will take a big step forward. KJ Osborne was was a beast last year at at Buffalo. I mean, catch rate was low, forty eight point six percent, but his his explosiveness was was a point five eight, which is you know really really good. Jeff Thomas is probably the fastest player in the ACC. I I would think uh, in, in their slot. He he had a big one against Florida State last year. Mike Harley is also a pretty good guy. I, on the outside, I, I imagine they're going to get somebody at either Wiggins or Hightower or, or maybe like a Mark Pope to, to go ahead and take that other, that other outside role opposite of K.J. Osborne. But they, they have some good pieces here. This should be one of the best receiving cores in the ACC. You know, one thing I'm interested in, last year it was very interesting. They did have a lot of balls that were uncatchable. But on balls that were catchable, they actually had one of the worst catchable ball catch rates in the ACC. And I don't, I don't really know why – that was. I, I think Dugan is considered a very good receiving coach, or receivers coach. Now he's at Florida State. Uh, we'll have to see. Are they going to do a better job catching balls? Did they have a weird like expectation that the ball was not going to be thrown in a catchable manner? I, I'm not sure. Um, but I, I imagine they're going to be better at that this year. Um, one area where I'm not totally sure they're going to be better is the offensive line. That's that's a little bit sketchy. A lot of questions here uh, along what they could do. This is one area that they could have uh, they could have some some things asked of them that I'm not sure Miami really has an answer for. Uh, one of their offensive tackles, one of their starting tackles, may weigh somewhere in the area of 280 pounds, 275 pounds even. Um, I'm, I'm not sure what their what this is ultimately going to look like. Their final starting lineup. Uh, what I am sure is that they've got they've got some real questions and some of the pieces that are ultimately going to make up that starting lineup. Yeah, they do. So Zion Nelson is a true freshman they brought in uh, who could be starting. They, he was like 240, 250 in high school. I think they got him up to 270, 280 now. Uh, but, man, that's going to be very hard for him to last the whole season. Typically those guys that put on that, that much weight – they don't keep it throughout the season. You start to lose some weight, and uh, and that that's tough. I, I like Nabon Donaldson a whole lot. Uh, Tommy Kennedy is a player who I know Florida State kicked the tires on as far as a transfer from Butler. Uh, I think he's more of an interior player for them, despite being a tackle at the FCS Butler level or uh, Butler level. Delone Scape Jr. is probably their other starter there. I remember him as a recruit. He was he was a good you know good solid four star, but. Yeah, the tackle position for Miami is is definitely a bit of a of a concern there in Coral Gables. I, I think they should be a little bit better on the interior. Um, there's not too many teams on their schedule who can give them trouble along along their offensive line, right? They, their schedule is is pretty pretty nice. But I, I, I've I've identified four. I think UF obviously UVA very good D line and, and, and front seven FSU and Pitt. Other than that, they, they draw Central Michigan, Bethune, UNC, Virginia Tech, uh, Georgia Tech, Louisville, FIU, Duke. You might not see a whole lot of games in which Miami's offensive line gets exposed because that is one of the softest opposing defensive line schedules you could possibly draw uh, for, for being in the ACC. But yet, Florida State is one of those games that we've identified as a team that really could screw them up in, in the middle. I, I think you have to give an advantage to Florida State's defensive line with Wilson and Durden and, and Cooper and maybe Robinson and, and Kando on the outside if you think those guys are going to have an impact, which I am you know, I guess we'll see. Uh, 
as, as a way to, to mess them up a little bit on the interior and, and to give the secondary an opportunity to eat. So I, I think I would give advantage to the, uh, to the defense there for sure for Florida State up front at least. Um, secondary and receivers are, are probably a bit of an even match, I, I would think, with a lot of it depending, obviously, on the quarterback and, and how the quarterback's going to do. They also lost some, some pretty important pieces there on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, they lost some pieces. It's it's worth remembering exactly how good this defense was last year. It was uh, number one in the nation in uh, tackles for loss. Uh, I think it was number one, if, if I remember correctly, in Bill Connolly's uh, havoc rate uh, as far as just what it did to opponents on the other line, other side of the line of scrimmage. Uh, it's a coach. It's a defense that's coached uh, very much in uh, in its head coach's desire to be as aggressive and put as much pressure on the other team. Uh, as possible, but uh, they're they're going to be doing it without the law without uh, Gerald Willis, who kind of came out of nowhere to be one of the better interior players in the conference last year. Uh, so there's some pieces to pieces to be uh, replaced, and I think a long way in deciding if those if the production is to be found is again a repetitive theme here. Uh, whether or not some of the some of the transfers the incoming transfers take and end up being uh, plug and play pieces for Miami. Yeah, and those transfers are going to be big, right? Like we know they have Jonathan Garvin. He's he's very good uh, on the outside, and, and a guy who Florida State liked as a recruit and went after some, but but ultimately didn't sign. He had five and a half sacks last year. I mean, I think you can expect that to go up. He's he's one of the best pass rushers they'll face. Another guy though, Trevon Hill, who was a stud for Virginia Tech when he wasn't getting kicked off the team uh, for altercations and incidents and, and whatever. Right after that Old Dominion loss that VT suffered. Uh, and then also UCLA transfer, uh, Chigazoe Noruka, I believe is how you say this. There's been some really positive reports about him um, in Miami camp. I don't know if that's a case of, like, they don't really love what they have at D-tackle right now. They also have Jonathan Ford there. I don't know if they have a bunch of guys there who they really love on the interior, I think they're going to be very good at defensive end, which is a problem for Florida State because that's really FSU's weakness on the team is, is offensive tackle. And I would give a huge advantage to Miami right now on on the on the defensive side of the ball there against Florida State's tackles. And I think that's going to make life very tough for FSU. And they're, they're one of the teams that I would project right now that Florida State, I don't want to say can't block, but is really going to have a lot of issues blocking uh, on the edges. One thing to monitor here, and this might not be an issue because of how late in, in the year FSU plays Miami, uh, but Nesta Silvera, who was their top-rated defensive lineman, defensive tackle coming into the high school, this is his sophomore year, He, uh, he he's going to have foot surgery, and they've not released what kind of foot surgery that is. If that's like a Lisfranc injury, he could be gone for the whole year. Um, that's just something they're going to have to monitor. Certainly it's, it's a boon to – to Florida in the opening game, um, but this is going to be something that we're going to be watching for sure. If he's out, I don't know that their D-tackle situation is quite as good, and, and it could help Florida State uh, running the ball, and they're going to need all the help they can get, man, because this linebacking core is is special. Yeah, not many questions to uh, <laughs> to ask uh, as to how what type of performance they're going to get out of the linebackers. Uh, best group in the conference, one of the better groups Florida State's going to see all year. Uh, it's just a a talented unit that has uh, grown into the system, knows what they're trying to do, and uh, solid, but also very, very explosive. Uh, 
turnovers, tackles for losses, uh, a group that kind of plays the way that stereotypically you'd want your linebackers to play. I'm, I'm right there with you, man. I mean, Quarterman, Pickney, McLeod are – they're studs. And they have some decent depth behind them. Not great depth, but, but decent. If those guys are healthy, that's that's going to be very tough for Florida State to score points. I mean, there's a reason they only scored – or they only had three yards of play last year. You know, FSU scored 27 points, and that point output was in no way reflective of how good their offense was. Right? If you play that game again and you score three – and you have three yards of play – you're probably scoring somewhere in, in the low teens. Um, so, yeah, that's going to be tough. The secondary, they seem to be very confident it's going to be really good again. I, I don't know that it's going to be quite as good, right? You lose Jaquan Johnson. You lose Shelbert Redwine. You lose Michael Jackson. Uh, Javante Dean, Not I don't think a huge loss or anything. You, you do bring back some dudes who were pretty talented as recruits and, and who really could step up, but I don't know. It, they had three picks in, in the top 200 of the NFL draft leave the secondary. I, I kind of have a hard time thinking they're going to be better in the back end. Yeah, real hard time. Again, a transfer here. Talk of Bubba Bolden from USC, uh, 6'3", 195 kid, uh, good-looking prospect. Maybe add something uh, to that uh, back end. But, yeah, a lot of a lot of pieces left here. Uh, Trajan Brandy's decent player. Uh, Robert Knowles, good player, but not uh, anything that you necessarily need to scheme for. Uh, this, this is the questionable part of their defense. Uh, and, and like you said, if, if they continue to have uh, interior injuries, that the defensive line could very much be brought into question. But uh, interesting to see who's going to emerge here and what type of play they'll get out of the secondary. There's three sophomores that I think you got to watch, right? Gervin Hall, Al Blades Jr., and DJ Ivy, they need to have one of those dudes at least step up and and, and be a good player for them. Uh, and I think there's a chance that that will happen. I mean, those are all highly ready kids coming out of high school. I, I liked all those dudes. Uh, and, and so we'll see. I, this should, again, be a, a very good defense. I mean, last year they were – what did they rate last year? I'm trying to pull it up here. 14th in the nation. I, I think there's a good chance Miami, again, has a top 20 defense. The question is going to be, you know, is their offense going to be better than 66th? Right, I I think it will will improve and we will be better than it was last year. How much better is is going to be the question? Uh, special teams, they did bring in a huge punter who's all tatted up from Australia. So I'm very excited to see this guy punt the ball, uh, and then also maybe like climb into the stands and fight the fans. Um, he, he looks like a UFC fighter. Have you seen this dude? I have seen him. Yeah, he looks he he looks like an Australian rugby player. He does. Yeah. So. Um, timing of this game. This game is a little bit. I don't know. Do you like the timing of this? I don't know. I don't, I don't like the timing of this at all. Um, would would really rather if just had that bye week somewhere else deployed other than straight in front of Clemson. Uh, any any of the following subsequent weeks uh, would have been better timed. Uh, you're coming off a Syracuse game. It just doesn't doesn't fall particularly well uh, in the schedule, in my opinion, and uh, we'll see we'll see where uh, how it plays out and how these teams are as far as a health standpoint. But I wish you could either get Miami a little bit earlier, or you could get them coming off a of bye week. I agree with you there. Uh, now the counter to this is Florida State is going home game, home game. Miami is going at Pitt and then at FSU in back to back weekends. So that I would say. 
as far as the prior game, if you had to compare them, that would be advantage hip issue. This is a game that the the advanced models basically see as, as a bit of a coin flip. Um, it looks like, I think, if you take kind of the average of a couple of them, like a 55% FSU, which basically means they think Miami's a better team, but the game is in Tallahassee. Uh, so they you know, they give FSU a slight advantage. I, I would have this game squarely as a coin flip. Um, I want to see how Trevon Hill does at the defensive end, but if, if Garvin and Hill are going, man, it's going to be hard for me to predict a win in this game, simply because I don't know that Florida State can block these guys. And we saw what happened when FSU can't block them last year throughout most of that game. I mean, obviously not the first part. They found a way to do it for a little while last year. But we also don't know what Miami's offense is going to look like. Miami's offense might have similar problems blocking um, that, that Florida State does. And so you might have two offenses with a lot of good skill guys, bad offensive lines, and, and pretty good active defenses. Uh, and then maybe you give the advantage to the home team here. But right now, to me, this is a bit of a coin flip. 